to the Nerd Crusade podcast. I'm your host, Ian, and with me, as always, is Courtney. Hello. This week, uh, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we finished Jedi Survivor, and we'll talk about some gaming news and whatnot. Um, but first, let's jump right into it. This will be a bit of a spoiler cast, so if you don't want to hear about Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd skip ahead until uh, we get past that, which will probably be like 15, 20 minutes, maybe. Um but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was very, very good. Uh, I think they're on track to already... They've already made more than their budget, but they should be on track to like be profitable, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, last I checked, which was last night, they made two point... Or, sorry, $282 million in the box office <clears throat> just opening weekend. Yeah, and their budget was, like I think, $250 million. So they just have to make $500 million to be considered profitable by normal standards. Uh, which they're on track to do, so that should work out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a little bit darker of a Guardians film than the previous ones. Much darker than the previous ones. And also this is the final Guardians movie, so you're not going to gain more Guardians of the Galaxy out of the MCU, at least with this crew. Yeah, the Guardians will. is kind of like the Avengers. Where they'll have, if they do another Guardians movie, it's not going to be with... 100% the same crew, maybe Bradley Cooper still, um, but it won't be made by James Gunn unless they somehow get him back from DC, which I doubt they'll be able to do until he's done with whatever he wants to do at DC and whether or not mm-hmm. the DC sees it as successful or not, um, which we'll still have to see. We can see the Flash movie, which he did not make, but it's supposed to be the first thing to reset the universe for his DC universe. Um, but with the writer strike and stuff, that's going to even take even longer because he stopped writing uh, Superman uh, due to the writer strike. Yep. Um, which I think was supposed to be his next movie in the pipeline for the DC DCU universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but Guardians uh, definitely kind of stuck with uh, I would say their gimmick, uh, which w- which is the needle drop of the music. Yes. Um, even more so in this than it has in the past. And what's also nice is that. Um, it kind of makes sense because I believe James Gunn did do the Christmas special too. Yeah, he did the Christmas special. Yeah. They acknowledge what the TV show... Well, the Christmas TV, special. Christmas special actually ha- had to say. Whereas when you look at like uh, Multiverse of Madness, uh, Sam Raimi didn't bother to watch WandaVision and so he made a shitty movie because of it. Yeah. Um, but... The big difference here is that James Gunn made the holiday special, so he he's been the director throughout the entire continuity of, of this version of the Guardians. So he knew how to incorporate everything he had already said. And the big thing about the holiday special, if you missed it, is that like it reveals that Mantis is uh, Peter Quill's uh, sister, or like kind of like half sister, and that um, the Guardians basically purchased nowhere and turned it into their home base of operations mm-hmm. which is probably one of the more of the bi- the bigger things to know because if you don't know that you're kind of like wondering why are they at nowhere why are they the ones in charge why are they flying nowhere to different parts parts of space yeah. <laughs> um but it's basically they bought it somehow we don't know who paid them <laughs> for saving the worst <laughs> but you just know in the holiday special that they bought nowhere and they basically own it as a safe haven in the base of operations and they were fixing it up yeah uh during the holiday <clears throat> special um this basically starts like can i say right after the holiday special i mean yeah. um maybe probably a few months later uh star lord is still uh, depressed and drinking himself to death because uh, Gamora's Gamora. not with them anymore. Yep. Um, and then it makes more sense by after you see the whole movie, but why Rocket was listening to Creep at the very beginning and yes. like, seeming like he was down the entire time um, because he's reminiscing about his old friends before the Guardians uh, that he ended up feeling like he was responsible for uh, their fate. Uh, which they get into way later in the movie and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> but I think they did a, a good job um, kind of introducing where they're at. And I like the fact that this didn't turn into Peter Quill chasing down Gamora and trying to force her to love him or something. Yeah. Um, it turned it more to like they run into Gamora because Nebula knew where she was and was in contact with her but didn't tell Peter because Peter kept like, 
he at first he was definitely like, hey, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Like he kept thinking that she would somehow remember what they had. Where it's like, no, yeah. she's a different Kamora from a different timeline. He'd never had any of those experiences, so she's not gonna magically remember what happened. Um, or magically turn into the old Gamora. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. Um, but I like the fact that they do get to a point after they finally confront that, that it's like, fine, you're not the Gamora I know. And like she has her own fa- her new family and her new life. And he finally accepts that and moves on instead of like just pining for her and drinking himself to death. Yeah. Uh, where they could very easily go into like, no, 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 you got to love me. You got to love me. I love you so much, blah, blah, blah. And like have like the kind of stalkerish boyfriend thing, try and convince her to uh, have feelings for him, which we've seen a million times in a million different types of movies. And it's like, it's nice that they didn't go that route. And this, yes. they made that, this is a very, very small, more almost a, a, a reason side to have Side note. Yeah. Almost more of like a comedic side note to have, with the main plot that was going on that was kind of somewhat depressing. <laughs> yeah, it's a very depressing plot, but it's still really good, and it ties the whole uh, series together in a nice, beautiful bow for the ending. Yeah, so the main plot for this movie is basically Rocket's complete background. Now, before going into this, mm-hmm. all, all I knew was a friend told me, like, Rocket was an uh, experiment who was engineered on to have to be, like, super smart, but, like... They didn't like change his lifespan, so like he still has a normal lifespan of a raccoon. Yeah. But has this has super intelligence and all that, so it's like already it's kind of it's a sad story. Like you went through all the trouble to make a walking, talking, super smart raccoon, but you didn't bother to extend his lifespan any longer than a regular raccoon. That kind of sucks. Um, but ba- basically through this is you get his entire backstory, who it was who created him. Um, it is very sad and depressing all the stuff that happened to him, but like through his eyes, since you're seeing it through his memories, it doesn't necessarily seem that way because even though he grew up in a cage, mistreated and experimented on, he had friends. Yep. He had three friends. Three friends that were like, one was in a cage with them and the other two were in the cage next to him and they were all best friends and they were having a great time being friends, not knowing what their fate was going what to be. What their fate was or what the real world would be or what, like, real freedom was. Um, it wasn't until later when Brock actually finds that out that, like, the guy who created was trying to create the perfect species for the perfect world that he was going to send them to. Um, but they, this world was never intended for him and his batch of experiments. They were just going to be incinerated anyway. When Rocket figures that out, that's when he decides they're going to break, break out. Um but the interesting thing is that the big villain in this is what's this? What is he called? Um, Let's look it up <laughs> real quick. Um, it's he actor plays him did a really good job. Yes. Um, but it's a villain I've never heard of in the MCU. Um, he looks very familiar because he looks like a mixture of Robocop and like a Sentinel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was done. Really, really well. Um, let's see. His, there he is. The High Evolutionary was what the character's name was. Basically, this is a guy trying to make the perfect world. Um, and then ultimately ends up becoming obsessed with Rocket. Because Rocket escapes. and it's Well, not just that. He's obsessed <clears throat> with Rocket's brain. Yeah. And like how it's uh, creative enough to figure stuff out when he hasn't come across that with his other experiments. Yeah, but it's kind of weird because when I'm thinking about that, um, the, his obsession with it, because he's the evolutionary is, is considered a god to a lot of species in the universe because he like created um, Adam Warlock's race, all the gold people from Guardians of the Galaxy two. Like he's the one who created them. He's created tons and tons of different species who are like living off in the universe, and they consider him a god. And his obsession with Rocket's brain is that to him he believes. Great, there's a lot more. <laughs> yep. All right, but he basically believes that Rocket's brain is the only thing he's ever created that has true imagination and creation. And it's only on that concept because Rocket figured out what the problem was with his experiments out of the blue that him and his scientists couldn't figure out. So to me, it's not that, that Rocket was super special is that he only acknowledged the imagination and creation of Rocket because Rocket's smarter than he is. Yeah. Whereas, like, the gold people, yeah, they're vain and whatnot, but they 
probably have creation where there's whole civilizations so they create their own stuff even when you go to like his new colony called uh second earth yeah or something there's creativity there because if it wouldn't be like all the people would have like the exact same wedding photos all the people have the exact same designs in their houses but we don't know that because we never went into another house except that one true but like you also see the kids getting beat up like it's the 80s and like uh in the streets and the guys selling meth and all what that and whatnot that stuff wouldn't happen if they weren't somewhat creative they're not just doing memorization he didn't teach them how to make meth and sell drugs and be violent he purposely made them to be pacifists and they eventually evolved to becoming more violent and selling drugs. So, like, there's a, a bit of creativity in all this stuff, but he doesn't acknowledge it because it's beneath him. It's kind of interesting that he doesn't care about any of his creations because to himself, he even sees himself as a god. So it's like, oh, I'll just destroy this and start over. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting uh, allegory to, like, uh, how... When you're straight, when you when you man can't just to create things, we don't see any value in them beyond the fact that we created it, mm-hmm. which goes to like all the sci-fi stuff about AI and all the other stuff. Jesus, I don't think Mike's picking up. So if it does, you might be hearing a, a lot more in the background. But that's because because that's what's happening on our property at the moment. Um, but yeah, he's played by uh, they call him Chuck, but Chuck uh, Chuck Woody. Iwuji is the high evolutionary. He did a really good job with that role. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what's really st- stands out here is the Guardians themselves, Rocket, uh, Nebula, Drax, Mantis, and all of them actually coming together as a team. And even Gamora uh, is with them in this adventure, uh, even though she kind of causes more problems than anything else. Like how Drax calls uh, the villain in the first movie says because he wants to go kill him. Yeah. Gamora basically calls... The villain, but she doesn't know that. Yeah. Because um, she's basically, when they find... Because she's with the Ravengers. She's with the Ravengers, and like, uh, so, so you have the Sylvester Stallone cameo in there, um, and they, Ravengers help them break into this biological or, organization, which is owned by the evolutionary, so that... Uh, has all the records on his experience, so they... Because what they find out is that Rocket has like a kill switch on his heart. Well, you missed a big plot point. Uh, Adam comes into nowhere and was trying to get Rocket, but uh, ends up almost killing Rocket before he gets knocked out by Nebula. Yeah, so like Adam Warlock, who... So they're going to this place to get Rocket's records to save Rocket's life. Yeah, because basically Adam Warlock, who was introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 as the end credit sequence... Yep. Uh, created by uh, the gold people, which I can't remember what their name is. Because they don't give them characters. It's just like their people's names. Um, but he was created by them, uh, basically by the evolutionary, which we didn't know. But like evolutionary woke him up early. So he's basically a man-child uh, with superpowers. And so he, they sent, evolutionary sends him to get Rocket. Um, and then in injuring Rocket and getting his ass kicked by Nebula and them, and then he flies away. Uh, they find out Rocket has a kill switch on his heart, which has to do with him being property of the evolutionary. So they have to go and basically find the data on the experiment so they can find the, the code to deactivate this. That way they can actually use medical treatment on him because doing anything right now, it's going to activate this kill switch and kill him. So for the majority of the movie, Rocket is like knocked out, which is kind of... Actually, I wasn't expecting that, but like mm-hmm. you see as he's knocked out, he's already in his like little coma he's having his memories of his childhood and what happened and who he is and with his with his friends and whatnot and you ultimately see that when he is told by the evolutionary like no you're not going to the new colony you're going it wasn't meant for you you'll be incinerated uh he decides to break out with his friends and basically creates a key card from scratch and that's the big thing that the evolutionary wants like he can create stuff as an engineer or whatnot just from taking bits and pieces and like yeah. building it. Because um, basically Rocket's smarter than he is, and that's why he wants to t- uh, take his brain and put that trait into his new, his new supposedly new per- perfected uh, beings. So when he does that, he breaks out, evolutionary shows up knowing that he's what he's going to do, and basically kills his friends. Yeah, which um, is really sad. Yeah, he basically shoots the otter, and then other guards shoot... 
um, the walrus and shoot the little bunny rabbit that was in his cage as, like, they weren't even, like, out of the cage. The walrus was still in his cage when they shot him. Um, And Rocket was left. And then Rocket went and attacked, killed everybody, and then attacked the shit out of the evolutionary before he escaped. Which basically, you see what he does, what damage he did to him at the end when they pull off uh, his mask. His His face mask. Yeah, his basically, like, his... Peter Quill calls him on and he calls him like a Robocop Skeletor looking type of uh, guy. And like he literally does have like a Robocop face. And when they peel off the skin, you see that Rocket ripped the fuck out of his face, which is true. Raccoons are fucking vicious and they will rip the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Rocket had escaped as like a little raccoon. Uh, and then, you know, basically we, we met up with him after he met Groot and all that and with the Guardians. Um, they go through their whole thing. They find, they end up on this on this like planet that the evolutionary created. They see that it's not perfect. That it's just nineteen eighties Earth, but with animal people instead of human beings. Yeah. Uh, gangs, violence, drug dealing, and all that. And when, even when Peter calls that out to the evolutionary, it's like your perfect world is like an octopus dude selling meth to a kid with a cockroach head. Yeah. It's like yeah, I didn't plan for that. It's like yeah, this is shit. And then he decides he's just gonna leave and destroy the world. Which he does, so there's a big uh, body count in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, like the whole planet is completely destroyed just on a whim, and basically Peter and the Guardians barely escaped that explosion, um, just to basically kind of use some pretty cool kick-ass moments where um, we end up having uh, you end up seeing them actually pilot nowhere to this evolutionary ship, mm-hmm. um, and end up. Uh, end up uh, kind of blowing it up but then saving all the species, including all the animals. I didn't think they were going to be able to get the animals out of uh, the Yeah, so that was really nice. But you're forgetting, like, the best thing about this movie. The best boy. Oh, the Cosmos. Cosmos. <clears throat> which is also great. Cosmos is voiced by Maria Bak- uh, Bakalova, uh, which was interesting because in, like, the game Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmos is, is has a deep masculine voice. And since it's just, like, a simulated robotic voice, well, I mean, yeah. well, at, least, at least in this it is, um, you think in, in the game it's, like, his telekinesis voice, but it's nice that he's voice has more of a feminine voice because uh, James Gunn's brother, who plays, I'm trying to find him. It's, a uh, oh, gosh. He's the other Ravenger, the one that got, uh, yeah, got the, Windows, uh, Windows head, yeah, Sean Wilson. Gunn, yeah. Craglin. He got, um, oh, he actually played Young Rocket, too. I didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> so, um. More you know. Sean Gunn, who plays Kraglin, um, basically is practicing with Yondu's uh, arrow blade, trying to get down, still hasn't figured it out completely yet. Um, and Cosmos makes fun of him. And Cosmos is, like, all-powerful telekinesis uh, dog. dog. Like, could basically crush anybody he wanted to, but, like, it's still a dog, so when Craglin calls her, no, you're just a bad dog for making fun of him, she gets really, really upset about it, and just so keeps telling upset. everybody. I'm not a bad dog. It wants her to tell, it wants to take it back. He's tell like, me no. I'm a good dog. Take it back. So, like. It's so cute. And the running joke is, like, she keeps telling everybody, then he called me bad dog. I'm not a bad dog. And everybody's like, just Craglin, tell her she's a good dog so we can stop hearing about this. It's like no, she's a bad dog. <laughs> just like he just doubles oh. down on it until the very end of the movie. Yeah, where he finally says, "You are a good dog," and she goes, "Oh, yay!" And then she does amazing shit with her telekinesis. Yeah, then you see her true big ass powers. You're like, "Oh fuck!" And that's and that's kind of cool thing with how James Gunn writes this stuff. He's always done that with uh, his comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, even when he did old YouTube old shorts that he had on YouTube about oh, stuff. Oh God. Um. <laughs> His comedy really hits really well where it's like, yes, here's this super powerful being that can do whatever it wants, but yeah, it's still a golden retriever. It still wants to be called a good dog. It still probably (laughs) wants to play fetch. Uh, It still has those basic needs that... Of dog. Of a dog. (laughs) Um, It shines nicely and it makes it uh, really funny. Mm -hmm. Um, But we get to the point where uh, Nowhere shows up. Uh, Nowhere has a big fucking cannon for an eye. Yes. Uh, that they blow a hole through this guy's ship with. Uh, they finally save Rocket uh, and, get, and wake him up. And Rocket decides he's not going to run away from the evolutionary. 
uh, he's going to not only fight back, but he's going to go save all the other animals. He's like, the Guardians found, like, the human... The, the humanoid uh, experiments that were going to be the next uh, uh, colony. Yeah. And they saved all the humanoid children and even the monsters from the very beginning of uh, the second movie that eat batteries that yeah. they fought. There's three of them. That was funny because like you, they did get put in a pit with them and the evolutionary was going to figure that these monsters were going to tear them apart. And then Mantis says, oh, wait, they eat batteries. They They're just eat- probably <laughs> afraid of us. So. Yeah, they don't eat. So and she uses like her um, her power to like help calm them. And then they ride out on these uh, monsters. I forget what the monsters are called. Yeah, but they ride the out in the monsters to meet up with everybody else. Yeah, so like throughout all this, it's not just Rocket's backstory alone. It's also them finally, them not only in the past they've come together a team when like they need to. But if, by the end of this, it's their team, and they completely understand each other. Because Mandis has a problem with Nebula always like ragging on everybody and being so negative, and Drax uh, kind of finally realizes that people think he's stupid. Although Mandis makes him forget it like immediately because it hurts his feelings. Yeah, it's like oh. <laughs> but like Nebula and all of them by the end of this movie have all come together. We're like okay, they do see them all as of equal family, and even Rocket is on that boat as well. Yep. Um, and everyone has their place and need of what to do at the end as well. Yeah. Um, what's also great is, like I said, like they saved all the humanoid uh, people that were uh, there. Rocket goes and he finds like the whole, a uh, whole Animal cage full of like raccoons <laughs> sees that he is an actual raccoon. So, like, throughout the whole series, his whole thing is, stop calling me a raccoon, I'm not a fucking raccoon. But then actually sees that he is one, brings, uh, gets everybody to save all the animals that are caged up, that are experiments, and then finally acknowledges that, no, I'm I'm Rocket Raccoon. And then basically pulls the shit out of uh, the Lucianary. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's when they take off his face and realize that Rocket as a child ripped the fuck out of his face. Yeah. Um, Because he's a fucking raccoon. Yeah. And raccoons can be vicious. So as cuddly and cute as they make raccoons look in this movie, they are not pets. Don't go trying to grab a a wild one. Never, never, never. They will rip the shit out of you. They are vicious. They actually... They are very fucking clever. They have hands. They have thumbs. They know to go for eyes and and fleshy bits. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's why it's very dangerous. Like, when you see them attack dogs, they will rip out dogs' eyes and stuff when they attack them. Yeah. So, raccoons are very cute in this, but don't go and try and get one as a pet. (laughs) Um, Big takeaway. Yeah. Uh, but really good movie. Uh, yes. they end up, uh, defeating everybody and saving everyone. And then they <clears throat> all separate cause they realize that they need to go and some people need to go and F- find themselves, find themselves. Some need to like Peter go and accept that, you know, his mom died and to reconnect with his grandpa. Yes. Yeah, and that's the thing like Mantis brings up, Hey, you have a grandfather who might still be alive. You should go find him. And, and you hear Peter say, well, no, the last time I saw him, he pulled me out of my mother's room, yelled at me. And so, like, Peter is holding a grudge against his grandfather, like, as if, like, his mother died. He didn't have a father when he was eight years old. And his grandfather might hate him or uh, or something. So when he left, he never bothered to look back and go back. Um, Mantis convinces him finally, like, and basically this whole journey convinces him, like, all right, you have your family here, but, hey, you do... Have, have a family at home that you yeah. need to reconnect and not that's kind of what also gets him over obsessing about Gamora is yes. that no he does have family that he should check in on so he goes back to earth finds that his grandfather's still alive um that's where you get the weird funny ending where like he's just eating cereal at the table with his grandfather talking about like how the neighbor wants him to cut the grass it's like, yeah I'm a 40 year old man he's just gonna sit there and watch me cut the grass so that's just weird <laughs> <clears throat> um so Yep. Oh, and they, yeah. and then uh, other guardians uh, decide not to be part of the guardians anymore, and just either, uh, you know, work on nowhere. Yeah, Nebula's or gonna form stay. A new guardians. Yeah, Nebula's gonna stay and run uh, nowhere. No. Mantis is gonna go out to find herself she's because she's realized never done that. Yeah, she's always done everything Ego wanted, and always did everything the guardians wanted. So she's never done anything on her own. So she's li- leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Drax, Drax um, is staying is, with Nebula to help well, raise the take kids. care of the kids that uh, are now part of nowhere. So, last, so last he person, gets to be a dad again, which was so sweet and great. Yeah, that's the thing. Nebula says like, "Hey, you're not supposed to be Drax the Destroyer. You're Drax the Dad." Yeah. Which is definitely nice. And then basically all left is Rocket is now in charge of the Guardians. Him and Groot are running it. And what we see at the end is that it's the the Guardians of the Galaxy is now Rocket, Groot, Kraglin, um, Cosmos, Cosmos, one of the and one of the kids and Adam. Uh, Yeah, and well, yes, Adam's there. Was he there? Yes, he was in the end credits. He was with them. Okay, yeah. So uh, Adam Warlock, because Adam Warlock lost all his people. We assume. Well, he lost his mother. Yeah, but like, he, yeah, because because you saw... never saw the evolutionary kid destroy his people. So like, so they're they... still probably around. It just killed his he, mom. Maybe when he just she was... maybe he just doesn't know where they're at or something. Because like, well, because he's a fucking child, basically. Yeah. And that's the thing, because Adam Warlock was like pulled out of his cocoon too early. He is like a man child, so like, he doesn't understand nuances and stuff. And basically, the evolutionary is threatening to destroy all their people. Unless they do get rocket for them, so that's why the queen and him are, are chasing him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the queen ends up dying on the second Earth planet that he just destroys out of a whim. Yeah. Um, and then um, also Gamora, uh, she leaves nowhere and goes back to the Ravengers, which you see at the end, uh, her finally smiling and embracing people because throughout this whole movie, you don't see her touch anyone, hug anyone. <clears throat> really acknowledge anyone except Nebula, which they kind of do a little uh, grunt head Yeah, thing. she was very much like, I got to be tough and strong the whole time. Yeah, and, not and be as vulnerable. soon as she's back with the Ravengers and it's just them, she's hugging, she's smiling, and it's like, oh, that's her people, that's her family now. Yeah, and it's nice that you see that Nebula found her family, or uh, Gamora found her family, everybody found like where they belong. Um, but it does say at the end credit sequence that Star-Lord will return. Yeah. So we don't know what's that going to be because basically the cast has said without James Gunn, they don't, they don't want to do another Guardians movie. And to them, this was the end of their story. Mm-hmm. Now, they could do another Guardians movie, obviously, with Rocket and that crew. And like I said, it could be Bradley Cooper coming back to voice Rocket or they could bring someone else to voice Rocket. Yeah. <clears throat> um, or, and if they bring Star-Lord back for something else, it could be... Um, Chris Pratt, or they could end up casting a different person for it. Who knows? Right. Um, but this is definitely the end of James Gunn's Guardian. So I don't feel like I feel like if anybody else took over the franchise, it's not going to do well because they're not going. They got to have... do something different with. It. They can't try to mimic James Gunn's needle drops yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, because you don't feel you would try that, and it's just going to fall flat. Yeah, if they do. If they try to copy his style, it's not going to work. They need to. If somebody takes over, they have to do a completely different style with it. And I would say, I would go with just Rocket into the new crew. Or maybe some new other characters instead of trying to bring back the old uh, Guardians back together if you're going to uh, continue this series. Yeah. Um, but they have some plans for Star-Lord to come back. So we'll have to see what that is in the future, probably having to deal with King the Conqueror and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to see how that plan pans up because they might end up recasting King the Conqueror because of Jonathan Major's BS that's happening with him. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see. I mean, it, he could, King can look different from yeah. what they've shown. And be like, oh, this was just a fake mask I was wearing. And woo, they turns could. out to be an Asian woman. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. They can do whatever they want with it. They'll have to see. Or maybe they'll keep Jonathan uh, Majors in it. Who knows? Um, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was definitely very good. The music was very, was done very well throughout it and, uh, mm-hmm. thought, and very thoughtful, like always. Um, definitely worth seeing uh, in the theater. Uh, i definitely go see it uh, again. again. Yes. Um, <laughs> it is a very good movie. Go check it out. Um, you won't be disappointed, um, and I honestly say like this is one of the, like all the Marvel movies. Like I would definitely want to own like the Infinity Saga from like Iron Man to to uh, Endgame. All those movies I would love to have the, have a full collection of that. Um, but I would skip a bunch of like this new Phase Five stuff. But one of the things I would keep is definitely. Guardians 3 and the holiday special like that it's like one whole complete story from mm-hmm. Guardians 1 to Guardians 3 is a complete story of the of arc of those characters which is nice because a lot of movies when you have franchise movies you don't get a full character arc from one end to the other um even in the different genres like the Rocky movies one through five we get kind of an arc but then when you bring them back for Creed 
we don't see what happens to Rocky and Creed 3 because Rocky's not in Creed 3. And we don't they don't acknowledge that he's dead or anything, so we don't see you don't have the full beginning to end of that character's life anymore. Yeah. Whereas this, I feel like you get the full beginning to end of these characters' like superhero lives, whereas just like at the end of Endgame, a lot of people are like, Captain America's retired. This person's retired. You um, get endings <clears throat> to everybody. Yeah, everybody's like, cool, this version of this character is now done. They've gone through their journey. Um, that's what Marvel brings to the movie game and movie story uh, telling genre that other movies don't where they don't end their characters uh, they just usually. continue on they either and continue on, and on or they dramatically just kill them right off in order to end them where we actually get good conclusions like Captain America's story is a fucking awesome one from his beginning to where he ends up retiring yeah. and ending same uh, with Tony Stark yeah same with Tony Stark's um and then we kind of get one uh, a little kind of get like a little miniature with, with Spider-Man because it's more like uh, I don't think he Tom Holland's doing any more Spider-Man movies but they basically put well they can't because uh, so many yeah they basically put Spider-Man though in a position where it's like this now he's in he's like the true sp- Spider-Man he's the Spider-Man that we all know that has no connections to anybody nobody knows who he is and he's just the lone superhero yep when living got, in a shitty apartment yeah which we got to see his entire journey to that point so we feel like there's kind of a conclusion with Tom Holland's character mm-hmm. and now we got a conclusion with the entire Guardians uh, cast. So definitely go see it if you can. Um, it's definitely worth the a trip to the theaters. Um, I definitely see it multiple times if I could. Um, definitely a great movie. Yes. Uh, next thing is uh, video games. We uh, where I beat uh, Jedi Survivor finally. Yay. Really good game. Again, this is gonna have some spoilers in it. Um, <laughs> I would say it's definitely a game of the year contender. Um, it did have a bunch of, like, I don't think it'll, it will get even nominated just for the fact of all the PC port issues that it had. I didn't run into any of the bugs on on Series X that people did. I only had maybe one uh, crash at towards the end that... Uh, oh, yeah, where you were floating because you jumped off the platform too early and you were kind of floating on well, the Well, no, it, it fixed it. So I had only one game crack, complete crash, oh, complete where I had, crash. To, had to reboot the game. Oh. Um, Towards the end, but like, and then that was the only other major bug where I, I jumped off an elevator platform and my character was floating in the air for a bit till he finally fell. Um, that was funny. <laughs> but this game, the game is really good because, um, unlike a lot of other games, it's not focused on a gameplay mechanic, um, it's focused on a, a character story, and it's not just Cal's story, it's a few characters' stories as, as you go through this. Uh, which is done really, really well. So, like I, like I said before, when in our first impressions of it, it's that this feels like I'm watching a movie, uh, not that I'm uh, playing a game. Playing a game because this is cutscene heavy, but like the cutscenes are all meaningful. And then ultimately, what we end up here with is that throughout the Star Wars video game universe and movies and whatnot. There's been hints to the concept of like a gray Jedi, somebody who embraces both good, both the good side and the dark side, because neither one is is perfect, right? Um, there's kind of a gray Jedi in uh, Knights of the Old Republic too, but they end ultimately end up being presented as like a Sith. Um, but in this, you ultimately have Cal becoming like a true gray Jedi, where he understands the Jedi Order is gone and done. And so he has to find his own path, and that's when like he decides uh, to finally embrace that he's in love with Mirren. And then at the end, he embraces his dark side to a point where like after that point in the game, uh, your your time freezing power no longer works the same way it did throughout most of the game, where you're just freezing time. It's now always embracing his dark side and, getting, and having an overpowered uh, attack where it freezes time like just shortly, and then. Um, his attacks are just super overpowered and he can just wail through anything super quickly. Um, but it doesn't mean he's on the dark side either. And then this game also explains the orange lightsabers that we saw in the Ahsoka trailer. Yeah. Um, where first <laughs> lightsaber that we actually see, which the thing is with this game, depending on how your color palette is set on your TV, it can somewhat look like it, w- it was red. But um, Dagon, who's one of the villains... Uh, basically bleeds his lightsaber, but it bleeds it to orange. When the whole bleeding process is explained as like, there are no red kyber crystals. It's supposed to be a kyber crystal that gets corrupted by the dark side. 
uh, through anger or fear or whatnot, and then the Jedi t- turns it into a red crystal. We see Dagon turn his like yellow crystal into an orange one, and then he has an orange lightsaber. And then when we have the big twist at the end, which spoilers, you don't want to hear this, skip ahead like 10 minutes. Um, Bode. Fuck Bode. Bode ends up betraying everybody in this game at the last minute. Some people may see it coming. I completely didn't. <laughs> and I didn't. And But one thing nobody really uh, saw coming was that Bode was a Jedi. And Bode actually has an orange lightsaber as well. And that he was working for the ISB, for the Empire, and was put infiltrated into Cal's group. Not to necessarily hunt down Cal, but his main goal was to go after Seer and the Hidden Pathway and go after these other Jedis. And even the fact that they drop in Darth Vader again in this game, Darth Vader's not after Cal. Like Cal is like inconsequential to the Empire. They're after other people that he has connections to. Um and that's what they go uh, what their main objective is. And the whole concept of the orange lightsaber is that it's a it's a Jedi who kind of turns to the dark side, but turns to the dark side because they feel like they're justified in their reasoning to do so. Yeah. Whether it's in Dagan's case where he was like felt like he was betrayed by the Jedi Order, they uh, wanted to abandon what he a plan that he called his new home and his new project that he turned more over to the dark side and killed and killed the Jedi of his time uh, to try and save his home. And Bode. Ultimately switched over because uh, in hiding and whatnot, his wife was killed and he figured that they wouldn't stop hunting him until he turned himself in or whatnot and kind of turned over to the ISB who was hiding him from Darth Vader and the uh, Inquisitors. So he kind of embraced the dark side for his own reasons to protect his kid. Mm -hmm. So he didn't go full dark side, but just enough to change his lightsaber. Which is interesting because like if you play... Uh, Knights of the Old Republic, the original one, there is a specific reason for every color lightsaber, except for Mace Windu's. That one is just the same story that, <laughs> that Samuel L. Jackson's always told. But, like, it was a badge of, like, what your job was as a Jedi. Were you a counselor? Were you a knight? Were you um, a judge or something? Base was based on the color of your lightsabers, on the type of job that you had, according to Knights of the Old Republic. Now that might have been thrown out with uh, the Disney canon uh, because no, they've never, nobody's ever touched on that ever again since Knights of the Old Republic, and that's the only game I remember where they ever like it clearly explains all the colors of the lightsaber. Um, so they may continue with that, or they might be building their own new lore with it. Um, but Jedi Survivor is definitely a great game because it had like people have said under the bugs there is a very good story and very good game there. And even more so to find as you continue to explore after the end game or continue to complete the other activities like the side activities like the bounties. Like all the side stuff thrown in this game doesn't feel like, oh, we need to throw in a mini game here. We need to throw mm-hmm. this in here for we filler. Need th- yeah. It's cool. This is a thing you could do or you could ignore. If you do it, you'll actually be rewarded with like some cool cutscenes or some cool cameos or and cool um, gear. gear and perks. And stuff to make your character even better. Or you can just, you know, play through the main story. Like, everything you do, exploration, all the other side activities that don't seem like they're pertinent to the story, are rewarding to do, though. Whereas, like, games like Redfall, PUBG, (laughs) Fortnite, those are games built around a game uh, play mechanic and nothing else. So, like, Fortnite is still very popular and kind of continues to be popular, but the only success to the popularity now is that every time some new pop culture thing comes up, they got to throw it into their game. So yep. like May the 4th... this skin on. Yeah, so like May the 4th and uh, Revenge of the 5th and Revenge of the 6th just happened this past weekend, right? What did they do? They threw a Star Wars element into uh, Fortnite, which isn't the first time they've done it. They just re-released it They kind of again and maybe added some new tweaks. And all it was was like you would run into a character from uh, Star Wars, they'd open up a portal, you go through it, and then you come out with a lightsaber. Yeah. And then now your character has a lightsaber, then you jump around and use a lightsaber as a weapon. Um, eventually, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something for Indiana Jones or they do something for another Marvel movie that comes up where they just start throwing whatever's popular into the mix. Yep. And that's how they keep their popularity, Whereas eventually that's going to wear off and people will get, will get sick of the Battle Royale mechanic that they have and move on eventually. 
And then you have like Redfall, as we said, was terrible last week. <laughs> um, that game ends up being about a gameplay mechanic that wasn't even put done very well. So it's what makes the game even uh, worse because they didn't focus on the story. Which could have been good if they focused on the story and then... Yeah, the story being like out. of somebody who's like looking for help or, or who maybe basically plagued with vampirism, was looking for a cure, and then instead a bunch of doctors and uh, facilitators end up just taking the benefits of vampirism and giving it to themselves and taking over a town can actually be a pretty interesting story, but it was just told in such a way that no, you don't care to even sit there and listen to them explain it to you because you're expecting a cutscene and you get you get a slideshow like, yeah. and you get a storyboard instead. It's just not very good. No. Um, so you can't if you can't convey your story very well, then nobody's gonna pay attention, and then you lose your audience there. Um In the mods do not help. Yeah, and that's the thing is that like Redfall they Phil Spencer came out and, and had an interview with kind of funny about it. <laughs> Um, and there's, there's two takes They're like, yeah, he took responsibility for its failure, but there's also the take that he also admitted that they don't believe games are going to help them win any like console war thing, um, which has its own bad implications there. But the concept that like, Hey, they're going to commit to fixing Redfall. Yeah. They may be able to fix the input lag on, on consoles and they may be able to fix all the bugs that are happening. But are they actually going to go back and take out the cutscenes and put in actual, real, full motion animated cutscenes? Because there's only one, and it's in the very beginning, yeah. when you wake up. And that's it. And you'll never see another one after that. But that means they would have to completely redo their opening, redo every cutscene in between. Are they actually going to take the time and money and spend that? Because they have to call in actors and re... And base, well, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily, because they... you have voiceovers during that. So, But they'd have to redo the animations for yeah. all that, which I don't see them changing that part of the game, which is a big part that's a problem. Yeah, the gameplay, the technical parts of like the matchmaking and multiplayer, or it doesn't even have matchmaking. You have to like invite your friends in, and half the time that's not working either. <laughs> the problems there can be fixed, but it doesn't fix the bigger problem, which is nobody wants to play the game because the story is not compelling. Right. But then with. Uh, Phil Spencer's whole thing, which I think is like he came out so he could take immediate responsibility for the problem. So every it wouldn't be like, a, well, who fucked up? He's going to say, well, I fucked up. I'm taking responsibility for it. But his statements on like how he did say like, hey, if Starfield's an 11, nobody's going to go out and sell their PS5 just to buy an Xbox to play Starfield is also kind of naive where the concept, I think, before with Microsoft is they would develop what they call um, like the Microsoft bowl, like, they would develop stuff for people in, who work at Microsoft who have multiple consoles and would think that way, but not think that the regular customer really only buys one console or the casual gamer only buys one console or another. Which I'd say 10 years ago is probably true, but now you look at all the people who are YouTubers who are like uh, game uh, journalists and all the game journalists out there and all the companies who have game journalists. They don't have one console. They have multiple. Well, nor should they, because they're game journalists. If you're looking at people that have one console, it is going to be your average family where they go, okay, we're just going to get one console for the whole family use, and we're going to use that for the next five to eight to ten years, and that's it. And they don't get another one, so they have to choose between a Nintendo, a PlayStation, and an Xbox. And that's not including their own PC, because they'll have their family PC. That's take that out of the mix. But they, the average family and the average uh, person will probably just choose one console to use. Which I agree. I think a family, the family will buy one console, but as soon as you have a teenager who gets a job, they'll spend their first bit of money on the other console that they want. Because like even when it depends on the teenager, though. Not you know every teenager is going to go out and buy a brand new console. I, I honestly think like at 15, 16, that's what they'll do. Because that's, that's honestly what I do when I was a kid. Like I had, yes, I had a Super Nintendo, had all that stuff. And then I, when I got a job, I immediately bought the N64. Um, I think today, now people are like, all right, cool. We are, my parents bought us an Xbox. So we have the Xbox, we have the newest Xbox. We're playing games on that. I really want to play God of War, but my parents won't buy me a PlayStation. I get a job, I buy a PlayStation, I get I play the games I want to play. Yeah, that but that's for like hardcore 
gamer nerd. If like a average teen that's kind of somewhat into games, they're not going to go I out and buy a brand new. But I think there's more people now that are yeah. hardcore gamers like that or wanting to play the play all the games that they'll go and spend some money of their own money if like not that they'll go and they'll buy two themselves. Like I'm not going to spend $1000 and buy one Xbox one uh, PlayStation and spend another like $200 on a, on a Switch. Well, really hard core gamers are going to spend a ton of money on that. I think if their parents have already bought one, there's a likely chance a teenager will buy the other one. Um, the problem with that, with, while we're going over all this, is because Phil Spencer's statement is more for the casual gamer who only has one console, whereas you're, he's thinking, oh, if you make great games, it's not going to solve any of our problems of being like third best console in the console race where it's like but if you made great games people would play on your console yeah people would invest in your platform people would choose your console more and even if he wants to push game pass uh onto other platforms right now it's on pc and it's on xbox will he get game pass on sony probably not sony like is fighting how much sony has fought back against the acquisition of activision tells me that sony's never gonna let them put game pass on a playstation will they put game pass on a switch Maybe, but then again, Switch games are not the same quality of Xbox and PlayStation because of um, fidelity and all that and and power. Mm-hmm. The Switch is popular because it has a chokehold on the handheld market. And honestly, like they've even come out with, oh, well, we have the new OLED Switch or the new version of the consoles coming out is one where it's just a handheld and the, the panels don't come off the sides. Right. You have to buy the other controller and buy the dock with it in order to make it into a TV console. The console concept of the Switch is a side feature and not their main feature. So, honestly, like, I don't compare Nintendo to being the same running with PlayStation and, and Xbox because they don't make consoles, they make handhelds, which means they don't have to have high-powered and highly developed games. Yeah, or high that. graphics. Yeah. Where Sony and Xbox are competing with PC a little bit, um, and supposed to have powerful consoles and, and produce good games, Sony has games that you can't play anywhere else. So if I want to play God of War two, I have to buy a PS five. If I want to play the Spider Man two, I gotta buy a PS five. If I want to play Starfield, I have to buy an Xbox. But Starfield is crap when it comes out, and yeah, it takes them six months to a year to fix it, or it's free on Game Pass. It just becomes that Game Pass is where. Shitty games go to get mm-hmm. launched and get fixed later. <clears throat> and then Xbox doesn't have any first-party games that I need to buy. I can play it on a PlayStation if I wanted to. So maybe ultimately the better investment is a PlayStation. I get all the third-party games that everyone else has. And I get uh, first-party games that launch in working condition and not have to come back six months later. Yeah. So his statement of, like, no, we're not going to be trying to push games super hard. It's like... So you're giving up on the console concept because... Why did you buy all these uh, game companies? Yeah, I mean, they spent the last decade buying game studio after game studio and they have nothing to show for it. And even their homegrown game studios, other than 343, have not produced anything. Other than Gears 5 that came out, what, four or five years ago? Yeah. There hasn't been another Gears of War game. And honestly, Gears 5, I don't find that entertaining because they had to tell the same story again. And they couldn't come up with a new villain. The Coalition has not made a new game since. Uh, they're working on something, possibly, but who the fuck knows. 343 just got gutted because they finally realized the leadership there was fucking it up. And so, like, kind of Halo is basically dead as a franchise unless they can bring it back and reboot it to something good again, which I see. I don't see them doing. In the <coughs> near future at all. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I don't know how they bring that franchise back from the dead uh, when they completely just stomped on it <laughs> yeah. uh, so much. So Phil Spencer's like comments kind of come off like, yeah, he's taking responsibility as a good CEO should or whatnot, which is interesting to see. But it also comes off as like, was well, your game plan not to continue with consoles? Are you not going to make another console? Are you not going to support the consoles that you have by trying to make good games? You're just going to push cloud gaming, which, yes, it works. But, hey, people spent $500 on a console. They expect something good for it. Yeah, they um, expect exclusives that they can't go to another console or PC to use. Yeah, because basically statements are saying like then Xbox should drop doing hardware like Sega did and just be a software company. Yeah. Um, but they don't have any good first-party software to sell. 
Um, they have the Netflix of gaming, which is the which honestly does look like it would be the future of how games should be distributed digitally, especially with new infrastructure coming to the country and to the world where more and more people have high speed internet. That's going to be the most. That's going to be the preferred way to get your gaming content mm-hmm. is digitally. Trying forcing Sony and Nintendo to go that route as well was the right move to do. If they suddenly back out of doing consoles and say, "Hey, we're just going to focus on Game Pass," fine and dandy. But where are you going to put Game Pass? Sony's never going to put it on their platform unless you pay them ridiculous amounts of money, which I don't see them ever accepting to do. Yeah, and you're never going to get the same type of game quality on a, on. Uh, a switch so having a console is great because pcs you constantly have to worry about different configurations which is the problem with like redfall and all that is that people have different uh pc builds so you can't make a game work perfectly on every single version of it. you're always going to have problems with it having a console is supposed to make life easier for third-party developers first-party developers everybody can just build for one set of hardware and optimize how to use that hardware much like we saw with the 360 generation where you go from the games that came out at the beginning of the 360 generation like Oblivion to like what the games looked like when they came out at the end of the Skyrim Skyrim and like Mass Effect 3 um, those games look a hundred times better than what originally came out because they figured out how to develop for the hardware why it's been so hard to develop for the Xbox one and then the Xbox Series X I don't know they've had almost the same amount of time it's just I think focus on the Xbox One was originally on like the Connect and all that other garbage that they didn't focus on the hardware there. And who knows why pe- they haven't developed games for the Series X and S yet that are like, oh, we just upgraded this old school game to look better on here. Yeah. Like it's we need more than just 4K graphics. We need good stories and good, um, good like motion capture graphics. Like the only like real next gen game on the Series X is Guardians. Yeah. It has full motion capture animation. It has good story, licensed music, and good gameplay. That's a good game for, I would say, I would say this is a next... For this generation. This is like a next-gen looking game where Sony has that across the board with their Spider-Man games, with their God of War games, Naughty Dog games. They've been spending the money on the first-party studios to put out uh, high-end-looking games and uh, story-focused games. Yes, for each generation of the console. Which Xbox has not done in a yeah. long ass time. So they need to get off their ass and they just need to release some good games. Like Starfield needs to be really good. It needs to land perfectly, not be a buggy mess. It's a brand new engine from uh, Bethesda, so it's not going to be the creation engine that they used for Fallout and all that. So we shouldn't have to see the same bugs that we've seen in the past with their games. Um, so hopefully it launches and it runs perfectly and we have a good story there and that game just is successful because if it fails, a lot of people are saying that like, I don't know if they're going, I don't see them selling their Xbox Series X's or anything, but I could see people dropping off of Game Pass being like, well, is the $14 a month or $60 a month worth it to pay for access to games that are just mediocre? Are the new games are just mediocre or they're broken? I got to wait six months for them to be fixed or should I just buy the pick and choose and buy the games that the full price that they are the older games that are on uh game pass are dirt cheap anyway usually they're not full price mm-hmm. you can usually pick those up on sales even without game pass so they're they're basically if this game is bad they're going to be crushing the value of game pass where it's gonna be like it's not worth spending that much money a month for old games i can just once i purchase i can just keep it forever yeah so that's kind of the gaming news for this week. Um, coming up next week, uh, what Breath of the Wild Two is coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing. I don't think there's anything other really big coming out. Uh, yeah. Until June. So again, we'll have to see what we end up talking about. Figure it out. <clears throat> but thanks for watching, or for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time, uh, and have a great day. Bye.